Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. You guys know by now that we do a bunch of commercials in the beginning, in the middle of these episodes. Um, there's two things here. One, patreon.com, Working Dog Radio. We put the episodes up without commercials. How about that? But here's the thing, guys. I know you people. I know what you're doing. You're skimming forward and you're fast forwarding through the commercials. But I'm telling you, you want to listen to these and you want to listen to the ones in the middle of the episode because we put new discount codes. We put new job opportunities, new training opportunities, new gear, new equipment, new sponsors, all kinds of new cool stuff in there. You don't want to skip it because you don't want to miss it, especially the discount codes. So make sure you guys are paying attention. And having said that, we're going to kick it off right now with one of my favorites, right? Uh, RayAllen.com. We've had a great relationship with Ray Allen for a long time. They want you to know that they've heard you loud and clear, and they have revamped their customer service, faster response times, easier to get a hold of them, faster shipping, faster order uh, fulfillment. Um, any kind of issues they had, they iron it out. RayAllen.com for everything dog related, not just working dog. Working dog, pet, anything you need. I just bought about 300 bucks worth of stuff the other day. Mixture of pets and police dogs in one click. I loved it. RayAllen.com. Uh, we got hits coming up. Um, it's going to be in August this year. It's going to be at the McCormick Place in Chicago. Um, it moves around. So, you know, one of the things they're really good about is it's not in the same location every year. So every four years, it's probably in a different area or it's in a different area of the country. And they make it super obvious about um, rotating all of their uh, instructors. Too. So if you come last time they were, say, in Dallas, like four years ago, when they go back to that area, you're not going to see the same people over and over again. When we were there last year, there was like 1,200 people, and they're talking about having 13 to 1,500, and we've got 100 vendors in the vendor hall this year. They're getting ready to have a price increase, and I know you people, and I mean you people as handlers, you guys wait to the last fucking second to do everything, and I know it's not your money, but the hotel fills up quick. Then you got to walk everywhere in Chicago, which is probably going to suck because it's going to be super hot. So... Get your tickets booked. It's going to be August 13th through the 16th this year at McCormick Place in Chicago. Go to hitsk9, letter K number 9.net. Get signed up. Look at the class schedule. Plan on where you're going to go. And, uh, yeah, submit all of your forms to all of your admins so you can get it paid for. And uh, you'll see us there. We're going to be doing live recordings and come by the booth, get a beer, and uh, have a challenge going. we got some custom challenge coins we're making. So, um we're Which, not uh, we're not giving them beer though, Ted. They have to no, bring no, no. Us yeah, beer. no, yeah. That's yeah. Get a beer was, and bring it with you. If that was if that was not obvious, I guess that's my bad. All right. So, uh, one of the booths that's also going to be at hits probably right across from us. If uh, if it's anything like last year's, our friends at Dogtra. Um, I love Dogtra. Dogtra.com. Great company. Um, you guys have heard of us. You know they're especially you guys, you uh, policemen, you law enforcement handlers. They're um, Remote is so set up for you guys to have on your gear. There's tons of different uh, Molly gear you can get for Dogtra uh, remotes. The 1900S is the best collar I have used. I love that thing. Their ball popper is all revamped. Um, They figured out anything with a battery should be rechargeable. The ball popper is rechargeable. It's kicking ass. Dogtra.com. They have a discount code, WDR10, for 10% off of any order over $200. Dogtra.com. 
So this next one is somebody that we it's new to the podcast uh, or they just signed up. So I just mentioned challenge coins. Now, everybody knows that everybody loves dogs and everybody listening, whether you're search and rescue, whether you're FEMA, whether you're, uh, you know, sheriff's office, whatever, everybody in the public loves seeing dogs. And the one thing that I always see is people handing out challenge coins or handing out um, the little like playing cards with the dog's information and all that stuff on it. So one of the new sponsors for the podcast is Combat Bet, which is spelled B-E-T at the end, like you're betting. Uh, they have the little challenge coins that are shaped like poker chips. And ironically enough, they're pretty inexpensive for um, like a department to have for a canine unit. You can have them on their little, you can have the dog's picture on one side, you can have the sheriff's office shield on the other side, whatever you want to do. You can even print on the collar of it. And they do two different versions. They got the, the ceramic poker chip ones, and they've also do a couple of metal ones. Um, so depending on how much you want to spend or whatever else, you can get a variety of different things, and they can print pictures on. So you can get the picture of the dog and the handler on there, hand them out to kids when you go do your school demos, and you guys look like heroes, which is freaking awesome. So they're doing a discount code for everybody. So if you go to combatbet.com, and you'll get a discount of 10% off of your total order price, which isn't a whole lot to begin with. So it's Working Dog Radio spelled out. Head over there, hit them up, tell them we sent you. Use a discount code, hand out coins to kids. That's all you got to do. That's it. Yeah, I think our first sponsor that we ever got when we got on the podcast is Arno at ALM. Um, yeah. I love ALM. The dude, the dude has been so good to us, so good to everybody. Um, I'm telling you right now, man, you want tugs, and I mean, we go through tugs a lot. I give them out to all the handlers when they come through, and I don't use anyone else but Arno at ALM. Uh, his tugs are the best. Period. They hold up. They're great. The dogs love them. Everything's great. And I've I've done a ton of social media stuff about his hidden sleeve. His hidden sleeve is so legit. It is yeah. so good. It's the easiest the easiest one to put on, take off. It is so functional. Like I use it, you know, under stuff as a hidden sleeve, but I use it as a just as a regular sleeve sometimes. Um, it you do feel it. It does suck. I'm not gonna lie to you, <laughs> but it is a perfect sleeve for what we like to do. He has a discount code WD radio for 10% off almk 9 equipmentcom Hit him up. Yep. One of the other ones that we super like are the guys at USA Canine. So it's no secret that Eric and I have some dogs that bite hard <laughs> at our kennels yep. and True. tear shit up all the time. Uh, my personal dog loves to chew through Kongs, even the black ones. So the guys at USA Canine, they tend to mm -hmm. last a lot longer. So I use Dutch boxes and I use poppers at the kennel. Uh, we've gotten some that have gone, what, like six months now on ropes with dogs with I don't know how many dogs gone through on uh, these toys. And they're still going very strong. So head over to USA-Canine, letter K, number nine. Use the discount code K9, letter K number nine pro, get a discount. They got bombs, they got grenades, they got actual ball shaped ones. They have a new one too, right? It looked like a little rocket or something. So head over, hit them up, get some toys. Dogs love it. They do. You guys remember our episode with Cameron Ford? Uh, Cameron Ford's worked all over the United States. Um, he's done all, all kinds of multi purpose canine training. Detection is his thing, it is what he does the most as what his scientific approach yep. uh, has proven like 
very effective, the things he does. Well, Cameron moved to Las Vegas to join the folks over at Silver State Canine. Um, they offer a ton of stuff. They have a class coming up. you got to get on this quick, though, guys. Uh, July 29th to August 9th. 29th to August 9th. It's a... Um, going to be a handler and trainer's course. you got to get on it. And they're going to rerun it September 9th through the 20th. This is not a cakewalk, but I'm telling you, you will learn a scientific method for this. Um, it's it's good stuff, man. Check them out, SilverStateK9.com. They, um, just so, say you can't go to Vegas, can't make it to Vegas. Maybe you don't have enough comp time. You, got, you don't have enough vacation time. They won't let you travel. You get a hold of uh, the folks at Silver State, and they will send Cameron to you. And they'll do a 40-hour detection dog seminar for you. You can get your all your unit, get all your training group. He'll come to you. SilverStateK9.com. Check them out. So speaking of traveling, October 30th through November 2nd of this year, our friends down at Southern Coast Canine, New Smyrna Beach, are going to be hosting the Hard Dog Fast Dog Competition. It's the Police Motorcycle and Canine Skills Challenge hosted by our friends at Southern Coast, Peggy and Bill and Danny. So uh, I'm actually going to be down there announcing the uh, Hard Dog Fast Dog competition. Now, it's limited to the first 30 canine teams uh, and the first 30 detection teams. And they're also doing a competition the 4th through the 7th, which they do every year, which is a huge odor uh, seminar and detection seminar and competition. And at the end of the three days, you actually certify within NDDA, but there's going to be 125 teams in attendance, so it should be a good time. Be sure to head over to Southern Coast Canine Hit them up, look at it, and come down and see me, and I'm sure I'll be heckling whoever's going to be decoying because you, you're you going to get smashed. I don't know what to tell you. Get, be on your A game. Yeah. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers from a steamy Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, with me, as always, is Eric Stambro from Canton, Ohio. Eric, what's up? Uh, nothing, just um, finished... Uh, week two of a handler course. Um, I have uh, a handler up from Tennessee. She's done at the end of this week, done after tomorrow. Um, It was kind of a quick familiarization with her, with this dog. She's an experienced handler. This is a second dog. She's going to take it back and finish and get ready for nap water down there. And the other guys will go to the end of July. Um, My wife just finished power washing my bite suit. Dude, it is so... (laughs) Gross. Like one of the dudes, one of the guys was wearing it yesterday and tried to wipe sweat off his face and almost threw up. It was yeah. Alicia's dog. Uh, Alicia has a human remains. That's our stupid Dutch Shepherd static. Uh, was her sport dog mm-hmm. and does uh, human remains. And uh, there was a point in time when he would alert on one of my bite suits. Uh, <laughs> it smelled so bad. So I feel your pain. I normally just take mine to the giant laundromat and put it in the front front load and, uh, and on gentle which is what i always say it's ironic that, it, that a piece of equipment that is made to prevent you from grievous injury from an animal that is determined to just fuck you up has to be washed on gentle i don't get it but yeah. it is what it is uh, and then i and then i hang dry because everybody asks how do you do it uh, like eh, it's not a big secret i use one of those giant industrial ones but uh yeah so we're getting ready to go to west virginia by the time everybody hears this we will be in um the most haunted place in north america i'm bringing a priest and we're there for the HRD me? thing. Is that me you're talking about? No, you are Bring actually me. a priest, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so, I'm an ordained um, minister, right? I need some fucking holy so. water and a crucifix, and because this place is no joke. It is dark, it is scary, and it is fucking haunted. So, 
<laughs> yeah. We're doing we're, what they say. Doing, yeah. <laughs> now we're going to have dogs chasing ghosts and decoys. Uh, but yeah, we're Great. doing Moundsville, West Virginia. And then we got Shelby, North Carolina with uh, Howard Young, one of the other former guests the, of the show, uh, coming up in two weeks after that. So by the time everybody hears us, that will be coming up uh, pretty quickly. So yeah, uh, Alicia is super stoked to go ghost hunting, which um, she's more than she's mm-hmm. more than welcome to. I, and she I can have that. We're doing. Yeah, we're busy. I'm, I'm good. She can go ghost hunt all she wants. I don't care. That's fine. But uh, we're rocking and rolling. Uh, we got a couple of dogs we're finishing up. I got handler school starting in August. I got one of my guys got promoted and he lost his dog. Uh, the biggest Malinois. It's a 125 pound Malinois, um, and he is a, an absolute hammer. Uh, he got reassigned to a really good cop. Uh, he's going to be with me for quite a while um, here pretty quick. And then my guys have had an active, uh, I don't know if everybody follows me on Facebook or Instagram or us or the podcast or whatever, but uh, one of my guys caught, um, it wasn't a whisper stop, caught a lot of meth, like 70 grams of meth. But he also caught a bunch of counterfeit currency, and all of a sudden Secret Service is yeah. like, oh, really? So the news is all on it. Well, what they didn't tell everybody was before that and after that, and then again. So this dog's had three bites in two weeks, and um, all legit. Like last night, he bit some dude in the ass that was this giant yoked-out guy that was refusing. He had a bunch of felony warrants and whatever else was refusing to go down. And everybody watches that video where I get pepper-balled several times. Everybody's like, oh, when would you ever have to do that? Well, last night they pepper-balled this dude, and my handler was like, he clearly ran track in high school because there was no way we we're going to catch him. And uh, the dog got him. So, <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was good. Uh, proud of my guys. They're good. Uh, summer makes people do stupid stuff. Everybody gets anxious, wants to do hood rat shit. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, <laughs> don't do that. So, tonight, uh, this is Ladies of Canine. I don't remember which number it is, uh, but we're getting four. toward this number four. The number four, okay. Yep. Um, so... We have uh, somebody on search and rescue, um, very well educated from the academic side, but then also from the first responder side. Uh, so tonight from San, Bern- San Bernardino County, California, is Margo Mocken. Margo, how are you? I'm fine. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing awesome. So uh, you have a fairly interesting story. We were just talking about before we started recording. And, um, you know, for everybody listening, you're the commander of the search teams for San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office, correct? Yeah, I'm the commander of the search dog team for the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department office. Excellent. We have 18 different search units in the county that range from, like, dive team on. Oh, wow. Okay. Dang. So, yeah, uh, and San Bernardino County is is not small, correct? (laughs) No, it's the largest yeah. county in the United States. Right. I, I mean, I yeah, said no, that. No, no counties kind of, in California are small. I, it's bigger None. than fucking Rhode Island. So it is. <laughs> it, it is big. It might be as big as Connecticut. At some point, somebody asked me, and I was like, no, I know it's big. So uh, you guys have a fairly large operation there at the Sheriff's Department, clearly. Uh, and before that, um, you're also a DVM and a PhD, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. I'm a veterinarian, been a veterinarian almost 30 years. And I actually specialize in large animal medicine, and then I have a Ph.D. in molecular genetics, so I used to do, like, cloning and fun stuff like that. 
wow. Yeah, we like we said, we had John Brandon on. Uh, I was telling you about this before then. We had John Brandon on, and they had those dogs cloned from South Carolina, or from not South Carolina, from South Korea. Uh, the agency or the, uh, the the company was in South Korea, and he said it was creepy that those dogs like were almost identical, acted the same way as their you know the one they were cloned after, the adult that they were cloned after, and so he said it was kind of creepy, which. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but um, I think they're old enough now. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how old they are now. But yeah, they're they're, they're working the ones that he yeah, cloned. Yeah. There's there's been several pairs. I think he right. has one at the kennel now. Yeah. Um, so of the large, large uh, animals that you were a veterinarian of, which one is the most you have to have the most respect for? Um, those freaking alpacas. They got these <laughs> fucking teeth that slice you. And, really? um, oh, am I allowed to curse? Oh, yes. Oh, you heard oh, yeah. Ted say the F word like four oh. times already. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, All right. Please. <laughs> so they, please. they'll <laughs> kick you, they'll slice you, they'll spit at you. They're just nasty creatures. And I'd rather wrestle a bull than wrestle one of those. They're a pain in the ass. But really? people that own them pay big bucks because nobody wants to mess with them. Yeah, there's, yeah. Find, find a hole and fill it, right? You oh, bet. <laughs> so uh, let's run down a little bit about how we got to uh, where you're the commander of the, the canine search teams for the sheriff's office and kind of what led us up to that point in terms of the working dogs. So um, I was in uh, search and rescue for quite a while before I joined the dog team, and, and we were termed like a ground pounder. I would you know get lost, go deploy in the middle of the night, and I'd hike up with a pack and scour the mountain looking for you and, you know, hopefully find you alive or otherwise and then, you know, bring you out or haul you out. And I decided I always wanted to get a, a dog and do the dog component of it, but I didn't really have a lot of time. And I finally got enough time freed up professionally to train my first dog, and that was about eight years ago. And at that time, I got a black lab, British lab named uh, Dylan, who I still have and he's still working and I trained him for tracking trailing, and um, he did a great job. Got a bun- got a couple of finds before he's even a year old. Uh, got him certified very young. Just a really really good dog. Got all hooked on it and promptly shattered my ankle and couldn't deploy for almost a year and a half. And uh, the poor dog uh, trenched my yard several times digging up the sprinkler system because he's a lab. Um, tore up everything he could tear up because he was in the do- in the backyard. Nobody told me that if he didn't work a working dog, they were destructive as hell. And um, basically, <laughs> during that time, <laughs> when all I could sit was in a lawn chair, I taught him how to do scent discriminating article recovery. And I would sit out in my lawn chair, trained him to do that, and he ended up being a dual-purpose dog. So when I became deployable again, I started working him in tracking trailing again, and scent discriminating article recovery. Um, since then, I've been on the team maybe five, six years. A bunch of people left the team, and I got voted in as a commander or voluntold to be the commander. And uh, the rest is kind of history. We've rebuilt our team. We have a team of almost 20-some people that covers uh, HRD, human remains detection, wilderness, um, live find, uh, both scent-specific and non-scent discriminating, tracking, trailing. Um, We also have water HRD dogs, and then we have a line of dogs called investigative detection dogs, which are your article recovery gun, cell phone, uh, and we assist the department when they call us. And that's where we are. (laughs) 
Wow. So how many dogs do you guys have? Um, currently on the team, uh, we've got probably about 22 dogs. Um, we've got nine HRD, um, or we've got eight HRD dogs, uh, seven are certified, one's about to certify, so we'll have eight soon. Our HRD is one of our biggest deployments besides our article recovery, and you guys are probably familiar with a really big case that we just worked for eight weeks straight at a dump um, looking for uh, um, some remains. And oh, every single day I saw that. There, I didn't realize that was out there. That was ours, yeah. That Ooh. was our team. We yeah. started with that the first um, – our team was the first team on, and we went all the way through to the end. Wow. Man, yeah, yeah. and I, there was another one of those close to me or us here in Tulsa, down in Dallas. Um, they just found a big remains of a fourteen-month-old kid or something in the uh, in a like a landfill type thing. And I don't know. One of my friends in uh, in PSA, who's a police officer down there, Ken Hill, um, is now an HRD handler, and they just certified. But yeah, I mean, that's um, it's a it's a lot of. Uh, HRD is gross. Alicia's dog was to the point where she was going to certify, and it's disgusting. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, I don't. I don't man. do it. But but they do an cr- incredible job. Uh, we've got one Leo certified HRD dog here. That's a dual purpose uh, trailing dog too. Um, and then the rest of them are all on our team. We uh, one of our handlers um, is on a FEMA uh, task force one team up in the St. Louis area. Uh, he runs a live fine dog and um, an HRD dog, and uh, they were deployed recently with a water find uh, somewhere here in Oklahoma to uh, help find that kid, that, that country singer that was um, that was lost. But yeah, I mean that's a uh, what I remember just training static. That was disgusting. I'm glad that we haven't. <laughs> so that happens more often than you're like looking for lost people. You guys look for dead stuff more than anything else. Well, um, we've got four uh, Leo sworn tracking trailing dogs in our county. So we're always number five. So you can imagine um, they get most of the deployments. However, Dylan was actually the first trailing dog in San Bernardino County when they brought the dogs back. So we had a bunch of fines before they brought the Leos on. And then we do, we've had our fines since then, but we're always number five because there's four certified leos and they're you know on on patrol so they're going to get out there quickly however usually the mountains they want us because of the specialized training we have to deploy with the helicopters and the terrain and all that kind of thing yeah that's not a thing over here so i'm in ohio (laughs) and there are no counties that have all that um the counties here are just not that big um it's it's just not really a thing. Uh, so that's, it's kind of interesting. I know, I think there's some really big counties in New York that, that use a lot of stuff like that. But um, California, I know when I was working the Navy SEAL program in San Diego, I drove from down by uh, Coronado. I drove uh, to Vegas. I drove north for an hour and was still in San Diego County. <laughs> yeah. That's something yeah. that's just you can't fathom over <laughs> here on, the, on this side of the country. Well, our county, the environments are extremely diverse. We've got areas in the high desert that, like the Amboy Crater area, we just had to find out there, 130, 140 degrees, freaking boots delaminated when they were out there. You can't work the dogs 
for very Pass. long, like 20, 30 minutes from 5 o'clock in the morning till about 5.45. you got to pull them out in the summertime. Then we got mountain terrain that gets below zero, and we still got snow on the backside of some of our peaks. I was just up there a few weeks ago running my dog on five feet of ice. Um, we've got some large man-made reservoirs, so we've got water, and then we've got some areas that are almost tropical in nature because they've got enough wetland and it stays there from springs um, fed that you almost get into an area that's that's tropical. So the, the terrain features are so varied. So we have to train our dogs in all those environments and keep them fit enough. And it's it's a it's it's interesting to work in the area. So one of the things that we we notice because uh, Ted and I, you know, we talk to uh, when we go to our seminars and some of the things we have booths. We meet a lot of people walking around in these things with dogs they say are search and rescue dogs. We hear this a lot. Oh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working a SAR dog. I'm working a SAR dog. I want to. I work with this group. How do you how do you distinguish from the shit from Shinola? I mean, how 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 do you tell the legitimate people? Well, and first of all, before she answers, I want to remind everybody we talked about this a little bit when we've interviewed Daryl Wilkerson from Ground Zero, and if everybody remembers the now all the patrol handlers listen to this, you fuckers cry about certifying once a year in your state agency or whatever else, but if everybody remembers from the Daryl Wilkerson episode, search and rescue certification is a fucking pain in the ass especially if you're doing the fema side of it i mean it takes i mean mario you can tell a little more but i mean it takes for freaking ever to certify i mean the amount of extra schooling like with crime scene stuff and all the extra shit Mm -hmm. you guys have to go through is insane so Mm -hmm. yeah talk about because we run into that here because we have a volunteer um like organization close to me um, that's based out of Arkansas and Eastern Oklahoma um, that claims to be certified, although I've never like talked to them directly. And I don't know what certifications they have. I, I know the state doesn't have one. Um, or the OSBN, which is um, Oklahoma Bureau of, of uh, Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, has, narco- has dogs here. And then our state agency, like our state like investigative agency, has dead has uh, human remains dogs. But I don't know what certifications those dogs have. So how do you separate the chaff from the uh, the rest of it? Well, I agree. There's a lot of people out there claiming to have search and rescue dogs. In fact, a recent deployment, we had some dude pulled up with stickers all over his truck and said that he was on the search dog team. And we're sitting there in our county sheriff van in the police vehicle with our dogs and he's claiming to be on our team so we get that too but i think first off like it depends on where you are and who is going to be in charge of your search and rescue and like in the west coast it's almost all the sheriff departments and as you go farther east you get a mix of sheriff and 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 um, fire departments and then you get these smatterings of smaller agencies that call up Joe Schmo down the street because he's got a bloodhound that, you know, they know he tracks. He might even just do blood tracking for hunting, but they bring him out because he might be able to track little Johnny and so on and so on. But there's a few things agencies can do um, to vet um, both handlers and individual teams that they really need to do before they need them. And the first thing is, hands down, they need to do background checks on anybody they're going to deploy in a search and rescue mission. You know, you guys know that a lot of people will come into a situation that they've manufactured and want to be part of it. 
So that's a huge liability right there. If small agencies aren't vetting these handlers or these or the individuals within those teams and doing backgrounds to make sure they don't have any criminal records, that, that's the first thing. The second is they can actually develop a contract with either the agencies, whether it be the fire department or police agencies or sheriff departments, with either individual handlers or with teams that have certain requirements they have to meet, such as um, having the dog's uh, valuation performance reviewed for certification on an annual basis or a biannual basis by a, a national certifying agency or or a neutral third party that's insured and bonded, even a, even a company, um, requiring them to keep training logs, uh, uh, requiring individuals that are going to deploy on these to have some type of uniform that identifies them as part of, of search and rescue. And the main thing, too, I think that, you know, besides identifying these standards is it's got to be done before the need. You can't have the search going on and have these people showing up with their dogs in their backyards that have never left the backyard, uh, never searched, but they hunt for the tennis ball really well, or they bring the lab out that's 200 pounds overweight and it walks down to the creek and collapses and they're done with the search that day. So, you know, you get, you know, oh, we, I know. <laughs> we said that, you know, or worse yet, you got the handler that's 300 freaking pounds. He fucking gets in the woods and has a heart attack and now you've got a lawsuit because he died. So, yes. I mean, these things need to be vetted. And then you need to tell what kind of skills the handlers are supposed to have. Do you really want somebody out looking for a kid that has no first aid, that doesn't know what ICS is, that doesn't know how to communicate on a radio, that doesn't know how to preserve a crime scene? And, you know, I know it's hard, but you put the burden of all of that onto the people that want to participate and they just have to show that they're competent in all the areas that you contract them to be competent in. I think that's a big way for agencies to be able to mitigate some of their the liability of using these kind of outside people if they don't have an organized, you know, sheriff department with with vetting and evaluations and all the stuff that, you know, we go through. Right. Yeah, here uh most of our task force guys and girls um, cause we have a female, two female handlers here in Tulsa, uh, wait, one female and a male. And then I think it's two or three males in, in Oakland. Anyway, um, task force one, um, handlers, they're all assigned to fire departments, um, mm -hmm. and are usually the people that get tasked with that kind of stuff. Um, so anytime the OSBI has uh, like a call out for something specific, like looking for a burial site or, you know, they have information from somebody that's been arrested, you know, so-and-so or whatever's buried here. Um, those guys, I guess, have dogs. But outside of that, I mean, we're kind of, you're kind of stuck. And uh, I, honestly, I've been contacted by sheriff's departments here uh, and said, you know, this is what we're looking for. I'm like, ooh, not my problem. And because, you know, while static, like while my one of my personal dogs is able to do HRD work, um, he is not certified. He is not, um, you know, we still train him quite often. You know, once mm -hmm. a week he runs on he runs on odor and everything else. But, um, you know, I'm like, you know, in the event that something is found, how are you going to explain that you had a dog and a team and a handler out there that was not certified that wasn't. I mean, they ha I mean, you know, even if we just go off of off of the hugely important case, you know, if we go off of of Harris versus Florida, 
uh, or Flora versus Harris, where you know mm-hmm. record keeping is so important. Like I don't have records on static. <laughs> like I'm not a search and rescue handler, and neither, neither is Alicia. She is not a search. She is not a human remains handler. And uh, but we have been asked. She's just a times. creep with dead body parts and plays <laughs> with her dog with them. Well, it's weird. That's neither here. Alicia, nor there, that's weird. That's neither here nor there. Pretty much. But and when they open up their truck and you're downwind, you're like, Jesus, the HRD people are here. Yeah. Oh no! I'm no, like, that's it, a oh. thumb. Like that, I saw a no, thumb. It's a toe, actually. Ours. Is. Anyway. Oh, it's a toe. Oh, oh gross. Oh, and then we made the we made the water fine thing to train static on water. I made the concrete deal with the placenta. Oh God. Oh my you know God. what's really you know what's really cool? <laughs> Anytime somebody's like uh, daughter's pregnant, wife is pregnant, oh, they're man. all like running up. Can I get the placenta? Can I get the placenta? Nah. I'm like that is disgusting. That's gross. Yeah, I'm gonna throw it. That, I got. I have. The, I still have the anchor. The death anchor is what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> it's disgusting. Is that the umbilical it, cord? I do. I don't know. It, what, they brought it to me, and, I, and we mixed it with concrete, and I put a giant eye bolt in it, and that's the water find for right now. <laughs> it's fucking gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. Oh, so do you is, get? Ugh. Do you um, have some good live finds uh, stories? Um, like, I mean, finding me live finds yeah. has got to be pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, it, I mean, that's what got me hooked. Um, uh, Dylan, I got really lucky with my first search dog. I do have another one, too, that's a trailing dog. I call him the bad little bastard because he he's just naughty. But he's a good dog. He's just a little scattered. Um, Dylan has quite a few finds, and we both have, we have finds in tracking trailing, and we only count our finds if I go from place last seen to the individual that I'm looking for. I don't count it if, you know, I'm down the street and a deputy rolls up, even though they're probably rolling up because I went that way. And we've noticed the helicopter follows us a lot. That really drives me crazy. Those guys are, they try to steal the thunder. But unless he actually goes to the person, I don't count it. And, um, yeah, Uh, we we found a a missing kid uh, as one of our very first finds. uh, Got me hooked totally. Kid had been... Um, kind of brutalized by a family member and uh, had run away in the middle of the night and he had uh, gotten into a backyard of a vacant um, house and was hiding under the tarp and uh, it was the first time first find Dylan had got to the gate I'm like oh god he's going to embarrass me because you know I got all these people following me and I'm like you know I look over I don't see anything I'm like oh come on Dylan come on keep going don't stop here you know keep going you can do this and then all of a sudden I heard something I'm like Son of a bitch, you found him. <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> wow. You know, the first time you don't, you've just been training your ass off and you, you know, you don't, and then you're like, whoa, there he is, you know, so. Um, so do you guys that, have to train and work on climbing and descending and rocks oh, and yeah. all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, out of the helicopters, a whole nine yards, because a lot of the areas where we have to go to are fairly remote and we use every means of transportation we can to get to the dogs where they are so we can preserve their energy because um, you know sometimes we're out miles from where we need to do so we don't want to hike them up a mountain you know two three miles and then deploy them at ten thousand feet we want to get dropped in so had that are you uh, uh good oh i'm i'm also on another a technical team so i'm certified for mm-hmm. all the different alpine and all the crazy stuff like that so and rope rescue and all that um some of my team members are and some of them aren't 
So our, our state has, like, levels of types of, cert, of uh, rescuers, and you have to be a certain type to deploy in certain environments. If you want to go to the top of um, Whitney, you have to have a certain type of certification. Or, yeah, Whitney. Um, and uh, if you have it, then you'll get dropped off by the Chinook and run around the snow for two days or something. So, but um, Are you guys using – you've seen mostly certain breeds, like Malinois and things like that? Does it seem to be – that type of dog taking over, or what do you what are you typically seeing? Um, we have a mix of mouths, and uh, we actually have a McNab too, um, and the labs. Um, you know, the one thing you mentioned about uh, it, the mouths and the Dutchies that they use in the FEMA dogs. We have a hard time running those dogs in the wilderness. They critter so badly. You know, on the in the urban disaster areas, there aren't as much many distractions. There's not much going on, and you know, we get like the mudslides and things like that, and building collapses and fires and there's just not a lot of the live stuff there you put them out in a wilderness situation where they can like chase rabbits and squirrels and lizards and all that other stuff they we have a really hard time keeping them on task so they don't always make the best wilderness air scent dogs even though they do a great job in an urban environment i don't know you know the apprehension dogs that i see it's more of a contained environment when you're deploying them they're not out oh, yeah. running for three hours in the wilderness no. trying to keep them focused and it causes a lot of problems the selection process that we go through for patrol dogs is <laughs> way different than i'm sure than than like a wilderness like air scent dog and i can imagine that a fucking malinois would be not be on the top of my list for the reason you explained and while they are oh, yeah. you know while they are very athletic um, you know, there is a reason why most police departments use them for apprehension dogs, um, and for, you know, narcotic searches, because I mean, let's be honest, most narcotic searches are what, Eric, three minutes, like, I mean, uh, yeah, that, pretty much at yeah. most. Right. So, and they do chase shit. My fucking eight year old, my, he tried to kill a bird this morning. And I mean, he's a, you know, I mean, they will chase shit and kill shit. I mean, prey, that prey drive is something we breed into them and something we want and something we use for narcotics and explosives detection and for apprehension stuff. But longevity is not really the, uh, you know, it's not the, <laughs> not really. Now that said yeah. that handler, uh, the handler that I have up in, up in St. Louis, uh, he runs two Malinois, uh, live fine, uh, and human remains. Uh, and granted St. Louis is a fairly large area. It's urban, uh, but you know, most of the stuff that he gets called out to, he's out, you know, a couple hours, three, four five hours at a time. He's not doing days at a time at altitude. I mean, it's Missouri. It's not fucking California where you go from sea level to 14,000 feet. So, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, it's a fairly large discrepancy. So I can see why, um, some of the other dogs would be a better choice. Some of the dogs have a little bit better endurance. Better endurance yeah, and, that's and why, better focus. Um, yeah. 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 People ask why. You know, a lot of the dogs I train are inner city dogs, but so much of the tracking I do during training is in wooded areas with a ton of animal distraction owners, odors. That's the main reason is uh, mm -hmm. so they can, you know, do that when the time comes. I'm, I'm a big believer if they do that when we do the inner city tracks, man, they crush it. But, yeah, I could definitely see... Um, the miles. I was walking a mile and a Dutch together the other day and stopped in the um, stopped in a shaded area, and both of them got a whiff of something in the woods and could not get them off. I mean, they were just definitely pointed at it. So it, I, I see that's pretty interesting. Um, so we're we going to take a second here. 
Okay. We're going to take a second here and, and pay the bills and get our sponsors in here. And then we come back. We got some, some legal stuff to talk to you about and some search strategies using multiple teams. Okay. Hey, guys, we got a great new sponsor, man. We're super excited about this. I have a box full of challenge coins. I love them. Everywhere we go, I'm always asking people, do you have challenge coins, challenge coin? Um, but I don't have one. Working Dog Radio doesn't have one. Torchlight doesn't have one. HRD doesn't have one. So we are going to get those. We're going to get them made. And we're looking around, trying to figure out who we're going to use, who we're going to get to make these challenge coins. We partnered up with the good people at Combat Bet. That's C-O-M-B-A-T-B-E-T. And they've got several different cool styles to choose from. They got other things too. They got some cards. They got a lot of different cool stuff. They're giving a uh, discount code for us, Working Dog Radio. Um, I can't wait. Um, we're going to get uh, these challenge coins. And I'm telling you, if I give you one, you better have it. If I see you, I'm going to blast that thing out on the bar and you have to buy me a drink. CombatBet.com. Check them out. They have several different styles of coins. Um, we're really super proud to have them on here, man. CombatBet.com. Yeah, it's no secret that uh, Eric and I use a lot of equipment at either up in Ohio, Venice, or here at Torchlight. Uh, we've been using Dogtriff for years. Both of us have. Um, even before we even started the podcast, you know, one of my favorite products is the 1900S hands-free. I use it all the time, and I've uh, even got a different collar on it so I can put it on dogs super fast. Uh, there's no messing around with it or whatever else, and I just keep the remote in my pocket, and I have the finger kick on my on my finger or on my wrist and uh, makes it super easy. But Doctor's got several products and not just for police dogs. You know, he's doing for hunting dogs. They've got a long history uh, with the hunting dog community. But uh, great products, several things for everybody from pets all the way up to working dogs. And they also have the awesome ball watcher and popper that I use at the kennel. Uh, I think I've got four of those things now. And um, we've got them in a box. I've got them hidden in cars, all kinds of stuff. But for uh, listeners, anytime you use the discount code WDR10, you get 10% off a single item over 200 bucks, And that's at dogtra.com. Go hit them up, dogtra.com. Hey, guys, coming up, it's coming up August, August 13th through the 16th, the HITS Conference. HITS is the best conference going. It's the biggest. It's uh, There's only a couple conferences that we back and we sponsor. We're here at Working Dog Radio based on who runs it, the type of material, the type of training, the instructors, everything they get, nothing shady happening. HITS, um, I can't say enough about the guys. You've heard them on the podcast, man. They're all legit. They're handlers. Um, they're out there working every day with that dogs, with those dogs, and they're putting on this big, huge conference. They got a uh, price increase coming up, man. So don't mess around. This year, it's in Chicago at McCormick Place. Like it's the size of Canton, Ohio, pretty much the entire <laughs> venue that they're going to be at. Um, check them out. Hits K9.net. Don't wait. Yeah, and, you know, one of the other uh, sponsors that we have that's also uh, nothing shady going on that we're super happy to have on the podcast <laughs> is Ray Allen. Uh, I think Ray Allen made equipment for um, dogs that are on the Ark. They've been around for so long. Uh, their product designer, uh, you know, Matt, is one of our good buddies. Uh, we love that dude to death. Uh, they do a good job there. They've got that new treat pouch that Eric really likes. Uh, keep your fucking hoodies from smelling like hot dogs or, or pill jack. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just ordered a bunch of rubber arms and we ordered a leg for Eric. 
uh, that uh, is good for proofing patrol dogs, and they've got everything, not just for police dogs. They got stuff for working dogs, and they got stuff for, uh, for other working dogs like search and rescue or hunting, and then also just for pets also. They've got leashes and everything for and harnesses, just regular collars, everything you need. If you're going to go over there, make sure you use the discount code, also working dog radio spelled out. Uh, the beginning of each letter needs to be, or word needs to be capitalized. You'll get uh, 10% off your first order. And yeah, they have just about everything you need except for the dog and the patrol car. So hit them up and not owned by a uh, somebody that has pled guilty to uh, sex offender crimes. So there's that. You guys have heard me talk and Ted talk about our relationship with Highland Canine. Um, we've done it on social media. We, you've heard it here in the commercials and things. And we do that because we believe in the Pergasons and we believe what they got going on there. Um, they have a school for dog trainers. They got a police dog training school. Um, and, and they started to realize what they were doing was everything was... Um, basic training for them. And they do have a lot of basic training classes. They take you, uh, they teach you, say you're a handler, they're training you, and then boom, out you go on the road. But what we see in this business is most guys don't follow up with any kind of advanced courses. So Highland Canine, they're like, you know what, we're gonna take care of that. They have started a um, advanced detection, or excuse me, advanced um, canine courses, like a whole curriculum they're rolling out. Back in April, they started with an advanced detection course. Um, they're going to go into advanced skills for every aspect of police canine training. Uh, be sure to check it out. Look for upcoming classes, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Harmony, North Carolina. Check them out. So everybody knows that we uh, love the guys at Southern Coast, Bill and Peggy Heiser, and of course Danny. But they've also got a second company called Coast to Coast Canine, which handles uh, detection services. And they are looking for two full-time and one part-time explosive handler. So be sure to hit them up and email Peggy Heiser. So you're going to do P Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, at C, the letter 2, C, the letter K, the number 9.com. That's C2CK9.com. Shoot her your resume and apply for the jobs for a full-time explosive handler. There's two of those. And then a single part-time handler, uh, explosive handler, at C2CK9.com. Peggy Heiser at cdccanon.com. Go ahead, I'm up. So I got a uh, bomb dog in my uh, kennel right now. I'm imprinting her on the seven odors that we use over here in Ohio. None of those odors are the HMEs like TATP, um, urea nitrate, and some of the other ones. We um, are afraid of that shit, and I'm not touching it. I'm not messing with it. But I do want my dogs to, to find it. So looking around, you know, my guys go through some training with the FBI like once a year. It's pretty hard to stay proficient on that stuff. And I'm not messing with that stuff for real. So what do we do? True scent. True scent is a, um, it's not a pseudo odor. It's a simulant. It is real odor suspended in silica. Now listen, they have everything. They have all the explosive odors you want. Um, but I specifically look for the, the HME kits. They got several of them. Um, check them out. Uh, it's, it's real explosive odor. Um, it's good stuff, man. We really like them. You heard Ellie, their chemist, on our um, podcast. We made a whole T-shirt based on that podcast. Uh, it's good type of stuff. TrueScentK9.com. Um, when you get there and plug it in, they do give us a 
Discount code, which is WDR, all capitalized, WDR15. That's a WDR15 for 15% off training aids. Get on it. Yep. So working dogs, whether they be police dogs or hunting dogs or search and rescue, whatever, have a fantastic talent of managing to hurt themselves in magnificent and magical ways. Um, if I could count the ways that my fucking dogs have managed to hurt themselves, it would fill up an entire podcast episode. Not everything is going to require a vet visit. And I'm not suggesting that you don't take the dog to the vet, but stuff that's normal, like hot spots, pad injuries, happy tail, stuff that's just kind of annoying, uh, can turn into serious issues. The guys at vet care have produced a, st- a product called quick derm. That is absolutely fantastic. Eric actually has a guy that's close to him that runs a fairly large boarding kennel uh, that had a dog come in that had hot spots already when he got there. And, you know, you didn't want to be blamed for hot spots. So uh, he actually ordered some of the stuff and cleared it up in, I mean, a couple of days. I actually had some pretty gnarly burns from uh, dealing with the talks of the HRD seminars uh, from doing some of the muzzle work and I was able to clear up something on my arm <laughs> in about seven days and it didn't tear up my tattoo which is kind of nice so so if you go over to vetcare.us it's going to be 10WDR and you'll get 10% off your first order and we've heard some rumors that they were upgrading people on sizes when you use the discount code so head over and put it in your uh, put it in the patrol car and you'll be good to go all right, we are back. Um, our second, or this is our fourth episode yeah. of uh, the Ladies of Canine. Uh, we got Margot Mackin from San Bernardino County, County, California. She's got more letters behind her last name than the uh, Chinese alphabet. So uh, she's a veterinarian, <laughs> SAR handler. She's creeped out like we are by the uh, human remains people. Uh, I'm yeah. just kidding. She's a commander of their um, of their uh, search and rescue team. Um, how, so let's talk about um, like strategies with multiple dogs and how you guys kind of work together. Um, if you have like a, a max number, if you have an ideal number, if you have a way you guys kind of work up as a team, kind of paint that picture for some folks. Okay. Well, first off, one thing that um, just kind of backing up a little bit, um, you know, there's some, you brought up, uh, I know I'm backing up a lot more, but you brought up Florida versus Harris. There's a couple other rulings that apply to search and rescue that um, I just want to bring up real quick. And one is Berkowitz versus the U.S., um, and it talks about um, immunity exemptions and SOPs, and then there's another ruling, Commerce Industrial Insurance Company and uh, in 2002, but basically what all these things say is if you have a resource that you're going to use, then you have to have an SOP for that resource. And if you have an SOP for that resource, then you have to know what that SOP is and you have to follow it. If you don't follow that SOP or you don't use that resource that you have an SOP for, then you are liable. You have vicarious liability if you don't and negligence and you can be sued. So what does that mean? Well, that means for areas that have search dog teams, if you have a search and you have that resource available and it is a certified resource and your search managers don't know how to deploy it properly or don't follow policy in deploying it, then that family that has that missing one can leave them open to suing that department. And that's happening right now. There's a case in Arizona 
Uh, where the wife um, is suing because of that exact same thing, and an outside agency came in with some dogs and found the human remains of her husband, and it was believed that he was alive during the search when she was asking for dogs. It's also one of the reasons why we'll deploy dogs, even if it's not really great circumstances to deploy them, just to show that we've made our, done our due diligence. You know, we know it's too old, we know the dog's not going to find a track, but we'll do it because we want to show we did due diligence. It also means that search managers need to know about these dogs. And I don't know about you, but, you know, we struggle even here with our search dog team being in our county, being respected with some of the search managers knowing what to do with us. We show up on scene and they want to put us out on the perimeter of a search or they want to put us somewhere where we'll just stay out of the way. And that's just not, it's not only not okay to use the resource that way, but it could get you sued. Well, uh, and that's a, something that I think I was, as you were talking, I was like, oh God, I'm glad she said that. So I think that's something that's endemic in canine for first responders, whether it's law enforcement, um, you know, fire department, search and rescue, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, especially with departments that have smaller canine units, like say you're a one or two dog department, you know, your, your sergeant or your captain or your lieutenant, whoever, the guy that's over your unit may not have been a dog handler and they rely on you to kind of be the, no matter how long you've been a handler, to kind of be the expert or whatever for their department, whether, and you're probably not. I mean, Eric and I get emails all the time from handlers and they're like, look, man, I've been a handler for four years and all of a sudden I'm the most experienced person in my training group of eight and I have two departments, two dogs in my department and my captain who wasn't a handler just said, hey, this happened, what do we do? And I don't know what the fuck to say. And then, you know, you've got other issues where, um, you show up on scene or whatever else and there's a sergeant there and they want to start telling you do this do that do this do that with the dog and they have no fucking clue what the dog's capabilities are what the range or like what the dog's able dog's able to do and not able to do and you know you're completely correct like using the resource and using the tool and i the people are gonna get pissed that i call dogs that but they are i mean effectively they're tools yeah um, they, for first responders and for law enforcement, their primary job is a location tool. They're finding people, they're finding stuff, they're finding bombs, or they're finding drugs. Um, in very, very small cases, we use them to bite people. But that is primarily their job, is a location tool. And not using them that way is just kind of derelict, I guess is the best way to say it. So you're right. I mean, and talk a little bit about how you've had to deal with, you know, people higher up that are like oh i want the dog to do this you're like well they can't or they just flat out don't have any clue like what the dog's capabilities are well it happens a lot whether with our department or others um you know small departments pretty much are a little bit more stable with personnel large departments like us there's promotions like every three months so you'll have a sergeant that you finally you know start to <laughs> or or a supervisor that finally start to understand how things work and what they need and what the handlers need and where we need it and all that. And then the next thing you know, they're gone and you got to start all over again. In the meantime, people are still getting lost. People are still, and, and we're pretty fortunate that um, we have an entire um, what's called a uh, IMT team that just organizes and runs searches. And our dog team now has a liaison to that team. So we actually have someone specifically assigned to help with the search plans. But we didn't have that two years ago, and it was just a shit show. And putting that resource or that content expert in there so that they can draw upon that information 
um, it's made the world a difference. I mean, we were doing searches, for instance, um, we had to, uh, um, one, one search, and actually this wasn't for our, our county, it was a different county. They wanted us to search the other side of these train tracks. Well, we had to go across an active train trellis to get to the other side of the river to oh, search the side they wanted. Yeah. An active <laughs> Nothing train sketchy trellis. there. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, no, we're not doing that. And there wasn't anywhere to go but, like, over if the train came. <laughs> and, and it's You're like, swimming. no, that, no, we can't do that. Well, the other guys did that. Well, that's fine. They're stupid. You know, I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, so, you know, stuff like that. Or, oh, can you hike up five miles and then start your dog tracking at the top of the mountain and it's 20 degrees out? No, I'm not doing that. Get me a helicopter or I can't do it. So, you know, we've had to educate um uh, not only, you know, people within our county, but also if we deploy out of county. Within our county, we have a tremendous amount of support with our sheriff's department. I mean, they they really listen to us. And I think the reason is, is we are very unusual in that we train alongside our law enforcement handlers. I, I don't know any other place that has SAR training with law enforcement. And that way we all know each other. We all have respect for each other. And when somebody says something, they listen. That's but, rare. <laughs> That's not a thing on the East Coast. Yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah, it's usually there's a little bit of, oh, gosh, here come the SAR people. Um, and, and that's why, like, for me, it's really important that, you know, law enforcement understands you can use these assets. You need to know who's reliable, and you need to train with them in order to know that. You guys know. I'm sure you guys know dog handlers that show up, and you're like, fuck, this is going to be a shit show. Because you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. You know. And not only do oh, you know yeah. that, but you know that when that dog doesn't find whatever it's supposed to be looking for or whatever happens that, that, that didn't happen, that handler's going to come back. Well, the wind was blowing at 15 knots out of the northwest, and, you know, you guys told me to go in this direction, and there's no way my dog's going to be able to do that if you don't let me go in that direction. And I did what you said, so I can't be held accountable. You know, that, you know forget the excuses you know you're out there it's your scene work it um so for us um we have that liaison and that works out really really well um considerations when we come into a scene is transportation is always a big deal we want to get as close to our search area as quickly as we can and our as uh, not necessarily as quick as we can but as close to our search area before we deploy so we can save our dogs energy we want to have an exit plan that will allow us to get out and not kill our dogs. We've had situations where they'll have transportation in, because, but the heat gets too high and the helicopter can't go high enough, and they expect us to hike out seven miles after we've just tracked ten. That ain't going to happen. So I'm either going to stay there the, until night falls or, or whatever. But our, you know, those kinds of things you have to educate whoever your, your search managers are. And then as far as, like, deployment strategies, it all depends on the operational period for us. Um, I, I'm sure that's similar for you guys in that, you know, you might have um, a bite dog come in if you have a nice perimeter set up in a little area and, and you know you can utilize that dog effectively, but you're not going to have a bite dog turn loose on, you know, the, a mile and a half track area where you have no idea where the person is, right? No. No, no, no. No. And, no. And, and, <laughs> Negative. You know, if you don't have a perimeter, you're probably not going to, run that tracking dog into the ground because the guy's just going to keep going. If he doesn't go to ground, there's no way you're going to catch up with him, right? Yeah. It's, it's a similar principle in search and rescue. We try to box people in. So we do that uh, 
a lot of times we'll use tracking dogs where we'll have a dog start at the PLS or the place last seen, and um, we'll once they get a direction of travel, we'll start bouncing tracking dogs out ahead at intersections if it's an urban environment with uh, scent articles. We like our handlers to pick up our scent articles. If the urban environment is going into a rural interface, we might bounce uh, scent discriminating or non-scent discriminating air scent dogs farther out to try to box that individual in and start working them in towards our tracking dogs. But our tracking dog may not run that full track. There might be three dogs on that track. Our idea is we want to get the little Johnny as quickly as possible. I don't give a shit who gets to him first. So we can minimize the amount of time we're running our dogs. In the heat, that works awesome because we can get some distance without having to run that dog mile after mile after mile. And the dog's drive goes ballistic. If you pull it off of a hot track because the dog down the street's picked up the track and is going in the right direction, and you dump your dog back down on that track at another intersection once that other dog gets direction of travel, they just go nuts. And we train this. We don't just do it on our deployments. We train it. We do it in training so we know it works. Yeah, you know, most of my guys' tracks, I mean, we had one the uh, two nights ago, three or four nights ago, uh, where I have a dog team on county. Actually, I have two on the county, and I have one on the county seat in the city. Um, and they, my county dog tracked a mile and a half, a huge hole in a perimeter because it's a small county, you know, and they didn't have a ton of people up uh, direction. Apparently, guy slipped through. They repicked it up with the city dog, and uh, were unsuccessful in finding him. But yeah, I mean, they they didn't have a perimeter set. They didn't have the resources to do it. But uh, my team ended up tracking anyway to a point where they suspected that the guy had either gotten in a car or uh, they found all kinds of stuff on the track too. Like the guy was shedding clothing for some reason. I mean, he was literally. They found an UGG boot. It was a dude wearing UGG boots and yoga pants. And I was like, yeah, we're chasing. <laughs> I was like, oh, did you find a fucking I, Starbucks cup too, or what? Yeah. So I call that Saturday. <laughs> fucking Eric. <laughs> that's, that's my, the meth addicts that strip as they're going down the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I love so, it. Uh, uh, but I mean, they, I can see this, how that would work though. The way you're talking about the, uh, the way they're talking about that, basically bounding tracking. And how yeah, yeah. the dog would, you know, even if he gets a little tired, picks it back up and is like, boom, renewed. I, I, I like that. You know, most, most agencies, if the police department, if, if there is a track, it's one dog, one track. If there's two or three mm-hmm. handlers there, it's one. It, it's the first guy there. The rest yeah. of you are back up or perimeter or whatever. I like that kind of bounding track thing. Um, do you yeah. you have a specific, like when you're training or or, or an SOP and listen, you will track for 30 minutes and or 20 minutes and then we're going to replace you or is it just based on kind of how the dog's working? Well, if we have enough dogs, it's not about time. It's like you put your, you, you have your handler, your trail, first trailing handler there, collect your scent articles and bag them up. And we're going to get four, let's say four tracking dogs on this deployment. And, uh, well, you know, these are all certified, reliable dogs, and obviously sometimes they make mistakes, but, you know, they're proven dogs. So we'll send that first dog. He goes down the driveway, turns a left, hits the street, goes to the left, and we know we've got two intersections um, on that street farther down. 
All right, the minute he takes that left on that street where we know they have those two intersections, we're bouncing out the other two dogs to those other two intersections, and we're cutting for sign or cutting for scent. And when the next dog picks up the scent, it's going to the right. Awesome. That dog takes off down on the track line. First dog gets pulled and goes out to um, the next intersection or the next junction if it's a trailhead. Run that dog on that. Now, if the dog that gets bounced out doesn't get scent, then obviously the dog that had scent last keeps going in case the person turned off somewhere. In the heavy wilderness areas, a lot of times we will run the dog continuously until it gets tired and then trade the dog out. So we won't do like the bouncing and bounding because they can go anywhere. It's too, it's too, there's Mm -hmm. not enough like distinctive trailheads. They're just walking through the woods, you know. So in that case, we'll actually run a dog until it looks like it's tired or the handler says it's had enough. We try to stop the dogs where we have a footprint or good indication that the individual was there and then bring the next dog in and run them and let that dog rest. And that just depends on the fitness of the dog or the handler. You mentioned um, collecting scent articles and stuff like that. There seems to be a fairly large divide um, in, at least on our side of the industry, in the police canine industry, um, about dogs that um, are started on scent articles or if they're picking up the freshest odor available or whatever it is. And you talked about scent discrimination and that kind of stuff. A lot of police canine guys are not doing scent discrimination. Um, And you'll hear it all the time. And you mentioned the handle that shows up and is like, oh, this dog this and this dog that and blah, 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 blah. And I couldn't do it, whatever else. It's normal because your perimeter guys fucked it all up and they – you know they fucked up your um, they fucked up your crime scene, so you can't you can't track away from it because there's too much odor or whatever else. So um, you know yeah, like CHP. Yeah. You go in the car? No, didn't go in the car. Okay, we're looking for a lady that's four foot tall. You're gonna tell me that size twelve boot sitting in the wheel well is that lady's? <laughs> Yeah, whatever, dude. Uh, so you, <laughs> as far as scent discrimination goes and scent articles, um, how do you guys do it? Or, you know, I mean, because that's something I, I do know law enforcement handlers that do it. Some of my guys will do it. Um, in fact, one of our best tracking dogs uh, was started as a FEMA dog, but he kept biting people. Um, so they kind of frown on that, but he was started that way and he's one of the best tracking dogs we have. And I mean, he's, uh, he's with a local dog here. Uh, he's one of the ones I was talking about, but so, um, do you, do all of your dogs do that? Or is it like, what's the deal with the, the, like the, the air scent versus the article recovery or not article recovery? I'm sorry. The, like the scent article recovery versus like, um, like actual tracking and trailing. Well, if, if our dog, if the dog is certified as a tracking trailing dog, it is a scent discriminating tracking trailing dog, and it's been evaluated for that proficiency. So if it's not if it's not proficient in scent discrimination, it will not be certified. And and at any time, you even even if the dog is certified, it shows in training because we all kind of train together tracking trailing a deficiency. Then that certification can be rolled back by a review board. You know, just because you got it, don't mean you keep it. Um, if it's a wilderness air scent dog, then it is a non-scent discriminating dog for the most part. 
we have dogs on the team that we can run as air scent dogs that are tracking dogs, but we can actually let them off lead. And actually one of my dogs is because he does scent discriminating article recovery, which I know is really bizarre and a lot of people don't believe in it, but he's been vetted and proven and, and worked some phenomenal cases and had some good finds in heavily contaminated areas and just identified the articles that the suspect or the subject or the victim um, was linked to by additional evidence. So if you are a tracking trailing dog in our county, you are scent discriminating. If you are air scent dog, you may be a non-scent discriminating dog, or you could be a tracking trailing dog that can be run off lead as an air scent dog. We don't really have a certification for it, and we only really do it kind of like where we know there's no trail because the track's gone too long, or we have a mutual aid agency that didn't call us out for three days, and they just want us to see if we can pick something up, and they just want to put as many dogs out as possible. But that's how we work the, the tracking trailing. You know, you guys mentioned scent articles, and that's a big issue, I think, too, is there's no standardization on how scent articles are collected. You know, it's it's a real shit show, and you've got people using vacuums and people laying stuff on steering wheels and, and people getting clothing and things like that. And, you know, it's it's really hard. You do the best you can. But I found it's more important to try to keep the people that were initially on the scene present so the dog can rule them out after you sent the dog than it really is. I mean, yeah, it's important to have a, a good scent article that is uncontaminated, but the likelihood of that happening if it's a criminal scene or even a critical missing that's had a lot of deputies or other police agencies around it is, is pretty small. So if those people can stay on scene, then my dog can rule them out. Yeah, everybody likes to finger fuck stuff. Like yeah. always touchy, <laughs> touchy, walky, walky. touching it. Yep. And then tell, and then tell me where you it. walked. <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. And then, you know, you hit on it a minute ago. Um, some of my guys um, will show up and they're like, oh, they went that way, right? And you're talking to another police officer that you work with, and they're like, oh, he went this way or they or whoever. And the dog takes off the complete opposite direction. And, you know, the handler's like, are you sure? <laughs> like, they're like, well, you know, I saw them, and the dog tracks for 600 meters over – you know, four different surface changes with a crosswind and all kinds of crazy shit and tracks right up to a riverbank and alerts that somebody hiding under a root ball, which we've had happen. And then we had some guy uh, run and throw a cell phone. And the other deputies were like, well, we saw him run this way. Well, the dog starts tracking and alerts on the cell phone and then stops and immediately makes a 180 degree turn and starts dragging the handler back the other direction. And they're like, well, you didn't go that way. Well, he did. They found him and bit him. So, I mean, you know, and then we added yet another one where I had a guy graduate school. He goes to school. He gets out of school on a Friday, goes back to work on Monday. While he's there, he gets into a chase with a trooper. Well, the trooper's in a chase. Swore to God that there were five people in a vehicle. They get out, run into an abandoned house. At this point, county comes in from behind, and they have perimeters set on this place. They call all four out. All four people are separated by this point, and all four of them don't know that they're the first or the fourth to come out. And they send the dog into an empty car, and he comes out like, okay. They send him back in. Nothing happens. They go in. They clear the house with the dog, and they then decide to ask everybody in that they had pulled out, like, how many people were in the car? They're like, oh, it was just four. And that trooper swore up and down that there were five in the vehicle. I mean, if you listen to radio traffic, the same thing. He was like, you know, five occupants, blah, 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 blah. He was wrong. 
So, <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, poor intelligence is like the number one thing you expect, you know? Right. Um, oh, yeah. We've tracked a lot of deputies. We found <laughs> yeah. a lot of deputies sitting in their cars. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing good about a lot. for our county is um, everybody's pretty well educated about how the trailing dogs work now because we have a very successful trailing dog program. I mean, we have a very successful trailing dog program. Our our fine ratios are up in the 30 to 50 percentile for some of the dogs, which is unheard of. Um, and, um, you know, usually yeah, they're down below 5%. Damn. You know, oh, yeah. That, I, mean, I, I mean, I know it sounds crazy. You may not believe me, but it really is that high. For me, it, it's very high because I don't get as many deployments. So my fine ratio is like 1 in 5. But we have a couple of Jeez. Leo dogs that have that high of fine ratio. So that that's, that's impressive because – I have yeah. always been told that the national average for successful tracks was like twelve percent or some, mainly because it's less of cars. Than that. It's like five. No. It's like yeah, five. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and we ha- and because because we've educated, like we they start in the academy learning not to finger fuck stuff, not to like to tell the truth. I did touch that and to stay there. So nobody's gonna be mad. On. We're not yeah. gonna be mad. Just say it. <laughs> yeah, and so they learn early on, and that really helps us. The other thing is, and this is unheard of too, our dogs get called first. Not everybody else in the county oh, gets called. Oh, our wow. dogs are all out right. there first. All right. All I, right. as yeah. a SAR handler, I often, if unless the 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 subjects um, that I'm looking for, family or whoever the RP is, um, delays the reporting. I am often on scene in under an hour as a SAR handler for my deployments. Now, you can imagine the patrol guys, yeah. they're getting under there in 30 minutes with a tracking dog and nobody's fucked up the scene. Yeah, they're going to find people. You know. Now, mm-hmm. in the high desert, um, it's a wider open area, so there aren't as many deputies on. There aren't as many people to try to box in. It's harder to bring the resources together even for searches. So the fine ratio is a lot lower up there because you've got so much more open area. Down in the urban area, you know, you got 18, 20 deputies on. You've got, you know, able to mobilize 30, 40 SAR people within an hour. I mean, we're going to blanket some areas and get be able to box people in, even if they're just missing. So um, it, it really makes a big, big difference um, in, in that respect. But, you know, our biggest issue that we have basically um, – with most of our searches failing has more to do with the RPs not letting us, not reporting the subject missing in a timely manner. That That's the biggest thing, you know. Uh, for crimes, I'm sure you guys yep. don't have that issue. <laughs> no, right. no, 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 not a problem. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the funny thing is there's a whole bunch of handlers out there right now going, 5%? Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't no. Suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no shit. I have... I'm I'm batting average. I'm doing good. Well, and so that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's something that Eric always talks, and something that we do all the time, too, is we train for um, people that, because, you know, if they call you out, typically you're not looking for somebody that's going to try and kill you. Um, no, we're not allowed to deploy on any right, criminal. Yeah. So our guys do that, and so, but they also run, and they're actively eluding us, and, uh, you know, if they know the area and they have access to a cell phone, they'll call the homie or they'll call the old lady and they'll have them pick them up, and the track mm-hmm. will end at a road. And, you know, my partner, Scott, um, is an old grumpy-ass Green Beret, um, but that's one of the things that he makes our handlers do a lot is we end tracks where 
like odor just stops like and the dog just kind of picks his head up and looks around and is like what the hell <laughs> like dude it's just gone yeah i do that and, scenario too yeah right and eric you talk about that all the time and you know that's why everybody's like oh does a track always have to end in a bite and i'm like no it doesn't <laughs> like it absolutely does not because you're not oh and i one of my handlers called me the other night that's another one somebody got through a perimeter and the dog ends up in a road and they found like swisher sweets and a hat with a pot leaf on it and a bunch of shit they stole like on the track and i'm like it's shocking and then he ends up at a road and i'm like he got picked up I mean, that's the only explanation. He didn't just get fucking picked up by aliens. I mean, his old woman or the fucking his homies picked him up, one of the two, and, you know, he's gone. I mean, you'll find him again. You know who he is. They knew who they were chasing. So, you know, and hearing that is, you know, I hope everybody listening to this. Not all tracks are successful. Like, everyone wants to believe like they are, and they always find people, but they're not. And, you know, the one thing that, that you were talking about, Margo, is that you guys have great perimeter set up, and you have great like you know outside and you push people back in or you well you guys aren't pushing but you're looking for people coming towards the dog at the same time so you're in communication all the time with mm-hmm. your perimeter teams which is super important you're just not out there looking around like playing fucking hide and go seek in the middle of the woods for three days so yeah. <laughs> that's called and I mean, dungeons that's, and that's, dragons yeah yeah that's it's just training story. i mean right you well have training I mean, and planning to do that and if you don't have those resources or the people trained to do it and how to use those resources you're not going to have it but you know improper resource allocation it probably causes most of the searches that i've seen that are unsuccessful not to be successful um you know i we we train for pickups. We did last Wednesday. You know, I train with a lot of law enforcement guys. We do tactical training. Right. We call out, you know, proximity alerts. Just, you know, I don't. I never let my dog go up to subject, even though they're not supposed to be violent. I, you know, I've had a couple of fifty-one fifties. I'm not letting them touch my dog. And yeah. then I had a couple that were having sex, and I'm like, don't touch my dog. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, like, no, this is not a threesome. Stay yeah. away from my dog. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I, I always, when he starts doing his little thing, I'm pulling him off and sending people ahead to check it out. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. You know, the other thing, too, that um, we found, too, and I don't know, just kind of an aside, is, uh, you know, sometimes if the, the subject that we've been looking for, like a small child, never leaves the, the, the scent pool. They never leave the area you're searching. But their scent is so saturated because they live in that house and they play in that yard and they've right. gotten somewhere that's really small. That's where those FEMA dogs come in really well. And, and do a fantastic job of clearing those areas. And it's where some of the, like, even hopefully your tracking dogs will be able to figure it out, but sometimes they don't because they're always looking for an exit. And that's where we can run those wilderness dogs or those FEMA dogs, even if they're not wilderness certified, to clear, like, schools and things because we have fences around all our schools because everybody wants to shoot everybody out here. Um, and we can yeah, send same our thing here. FEMA dogs <laughs> to clear a school and then use our tracking dogs to see if the track is leading away from the school and get two two areas cleared at once yeah i hope every admin and fucking country listens to this episode and listens to that last two minutes that you just said uh because all too often and eric and i are on the same page with this um i almost refuse to do a pointy-eared dog to track uh to use a dog track that does not bite uh for law enforcement um and you know, because for better or for worse, you know, you already talked about the capabilities of the dog, the capabilities of the handlers and the admins not knowing that capability. And they are inevitably put in a position where 
they're like, well, you know, you're the best we've got right now. It's a small department, rural area, whatever. So just be really careful. And if the dog doesn't give you a proximity alert or whatever, assuming the dog is trained that well, that, you know, hopefully the person doesn't try and kill you and or the dog. Um, but you know, what you had just said, um, my handlers turn down tracks for missing people all the time. They're like, Nope, (laughs) my dogs bite people. No, I'm not looking for an Amber alert. I am not looking for a silver alert. We're not looking for any of that shit. There are other teams that can do that. And we ain't them because the last, the last thing I need is me. One of my guys biting a 90 year old person that walks away from a nursing home, but they get asked to do it. And that's always my greatest fear. I mean, Florida's got a law against it. You can't right. run an apprehension dog on a uh, missing in Florida. Yeah, well, Florida. I think it's bad practice myself. That's because but. Florida is America's dick, and all of the crazy <laughs> ass case law comes out of fucking Florida. And they have more dogs there than just about. I think they have more dogs there than most places in the like than most of the country combined. They have like everybody. If you're a cop there, you get a fucking dog. And that's just state and local and city and county. That doesn't count all the federal shit that's down there. And I mean, and on top of that, they will fucking bite you there. I mean, we're doing an HRD seminar down there, like the Marion County Sheriff's Office. They will bite your ass down there. And I, I don't, I mean, so it makes sense, like, because they they do a very good job. The one thing that Florida, and this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, the one thing that Florida does a very good job about, um, if you're going to handle a dog that bites people, you have to go through 600 and I don't know how many, 600 and something hours um, for their FDLE stuff um, for certification to be able to handle a dog that bites people. And because of that, a majority of the handlers that I meet and Eric and I meet and talk to down in Florida, most of those guys are squared away. Um, You know, if you're a Florida handler and you handle a dog that bites people, you're in a very top percentage of, of handlers in the country. And it has to do with the way that now you guys got there because you bite the shit out of people you shouldn't, but that's beside the point. So, <laughs> but <laughs> the point is you're right. Like the certifications matter and like, yeah. And that's one reason I don't like, um, you know, when the sheriff's department calls me, they're like, they want a dog that can do narcotics, but they can also like find, do like dual search and rescue work. And I'm like, eh, it needs to be one or the other because inevitably because he is a law enforcement officer and he is on that side of first responding that inevitably at some point they're going to be asked, I get it. The dog doesn't bite, but we still need you to track this guy. And they're like, nope. Mm -mm." So uh, that, that bugs me. I I agree. And, and not only that, like for SAR people, um, you know, I, I have been lent out on a mutual aid to other agencies and have, like, shown up in shitty parts of the town, and there's nobody there. Or there's one flanker there, and he doesn't want to get out of the car, so he wants to drive behind me. And I'm what? like, I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm a civilian. I mean, I know I look like a badass, but I'm, not, I'm nothing <laughs> for a gun, you know? I'm like, and That's I, my problem. And I'm, and then I call back, and I'm like, to my agency, right. let me, uh, hey, dude, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, and so our agency actually has gone to a bunch of new policies. Like now, um, our SAR civilian people for the sheriff's department um, are not, we, we do do mutual aid, but it, if it's tracking, it has to be a LEO handler first. If a LEO handler's not available, then we take our personnel with us on the deployment because they, they know us, they know to protect, you know what I mean? 
So, you know, we've had to change a lot of policies, but, you know, small departments don't know. They're just like, okay, go ahead. And then they don't want to get out of the car. Uh, They're driving along. Or I turn around and the guy's on his cell phone and there's like nope. five pit bulls charging me. Nope. Um, you know, and I'm like, hey, you know. And so, you know, our agency spoils us. And then when we go to other places that aren't used to handling being around the dogs or having SOPs for how to even um, have a SAR handler come in. I mean, that's, a, you know, this one agency, I said, you guys need to have a policy when you're going to have a civilian handler come and help you find someone on how you're going to protect them. If you've only got four people on tonight, then two of them need to be with that civilian. But you need to have a policy because if they get hurt, you're going to get sued. You know, and, and that's something, too, that people need to, you know, if you're going to use these individual dog handlers or teams that you're not familiar with, you need to have policies. The agencies need to have policies on how they're going to protect those people. I got one other thing I wanted to bring up that I think mm-hmm. you guys will probably appreciate, and that's about debriefing searches. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big pet peeve of mine. So, you know, we have these multi-day searches, if, and um, the canine handlers come back in, and uh, the debriefing, we, you know, we take all these notes, oh, we deployed at this, my dog showed an interest here, or... You know, my dog didn't show an interest here and, you know, absolutely no odor whatsoever. Uh, we cleared this area. We have a probability of detection of X percentage or whatever. We do all this kind of stuff, and then we give it to our search managers, and they, like, don't do crap with it. They just ignore it, or they don't, in, they don't incorporate it into the search plan for the next day. They don't think, oh, well, the dog cleared that five acres, but the handler said because of, you know, cliffs or woods or heavy brush or something crazy, the POD, probability of detection there was maybe 25, 30%. Well, you know, you better send more searchers in there if that handler told you that their probability of detection was only 25 or 30%. That area is not cleared. And if you don't and consider it cleared, you're going to get in trouble if somebody looks at that. So a lot of times um, the debrief information, even though it might be very thorough, it's not used or incorporated into future search plans. And that's a really big pet peeve we've been trying to work with and figure out schemes to make it better. Yeah, that's um, – like I said, you're, you're, talking, you're talking a foreign language to this, this part over here. Um, <laughs> there, I, the detail and the things – that you guys have to go through because of all the different terrains and everything. I, I really like listening to this and hearing this information because over here it's just, it doesn't happen um, in Ohio, I'm telling you. They're, I mean, they're search and rescue groups here. Mostly they're used for human remains um, and the detectives call them in because, you know, no, nobody in law enforcement has a human remains dog in Ohio that I know of. I, I'm, I could be wrong, I'm sure. But um, I like hearing all this stuff, but you were right there. They're not going to what I find that that brass just want to wrap it up. Did you find them? Mm-hmm. No. Wrap it up. Yeah, it's been 35 minutes. Yeah, but we have calls holding. We have to go. Um, there's, you know, criminal damaging calls that need answered. So they 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 tend to not debrief at all. Like there's really no debriefing in, in many of these types of cases. Um, so you know, I, I Rigney, like hearing all that stuff. Rigney was talking about something like that the other day about you know making sure that you're interviewing people that you're chasing, um, whether you're in law enforcement or if you're in the search and rescue side, 
interviewing the people that you're chasing about what they did, how they got where they got to, what lengths they went to to evade or how what lengths they went to to not get lost. <laughs> and, you know, because that can piece together, and I teach my guys this too, that, that can piece together a lot of for my law enforcement guys listening to this. That'll piece together for you the things that your dog did on a track. So if you have a successful apprehension, whether they gave up or you get a bite or whatever, you know, once they're getting stitched up by the doctor and, you know, they're calm and whatever, it's like, you know, how'd you get there? You know, this, that, and the other, whatever else. Uh, Rigney talked about a deal where he was chasing a guy and he'd been chasing him. He'd chased him more than once. And when they finally caught him, he said, hey, when we were looking for you back, I don't know, like 10 days ago or whatever it was, you know, what did you do? Because the dog, like Justin was like, I don't, and Justin's a fucking badass handler. Justin was like, what in the hell? And so the guy told him, and it made sense to Justin at that point. But, you know, interviewing the people you're looking for eventually, like, how did you get there? And assuming they're going to tell you the truth, but at least you can put some some perspective into, you know, what your dog is doing while they're tracking. Like, if there was a point where the dog looked like he's confused, they, they said, you know, I, I ran to this. Uh, we've had a track where this guy ran to an intersection or it was like an alleyway that had like a T in it. And the guy went left and then turned, stopped and then went right and then went back left and kind of learned, like looked around and then jumped over a fence. And if you look at the body cam, the dog runs back and forth in this alleyway and the handler's like, I don't know which way he went. And then the dog starts trying to go over the fence. So he did the exact same thing. But there was a huge scent pool that the dog went to check negatives, both left and right. And was like, well, there's nothing there. So. But in hindsight, it made sense to the handler because he said, why, what did you do? Like, how did you decide to go over the fence? And he was like, I didn't want to run. I knew you were chasing me. I didn't want to run down the alleyway because there's nowhere to hide. And I figured you wouldn't find me if I jump over the fence. He was wrong, but that made sense to the handler. But yeah, interviewing people you're looking for is a huge deal and part of the debrief for sure. Yeah, we have a form that we go through after we find someone or we try to piece together if we don't find them in a uh, with the ability to speak, um, what oh. happened in a timeline uh, to try to, to make things, you know, to try to learn from it. And, and I think that's super important is debriefing. But, you know, the, the biggest problem in the training dog world and I, in, that I've seen in general is that there's a lot of bullshitting that goes on at training. And, um, I mean, that's great. And in, 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 I'm just talking in general all the way across the board. You know, it's about you know, oh, you know, my dog did this or my dog did that. But it's not like necessarily like the nitty-gritty facts of what actually happened and like getting those other handlers' perspectives, you know, being honest about specifically what your dog did in relation to what that sub-suspect or subject did and being able to say, hey, you know, like you said, you were in a scent pool. Your dog had trouble finding the trail out of the scent pool. Hey, I got a drill for that. I got a drill for, for helping your dog get out of that scent pool in the middle of a track. Um, and I, I speak mainly tracking chillings. That's what I do. But even for HRD, you know, and, you know, oh, you know, the, the body was up the canyon and it, it was a, a hot day. So, you know, the dog on the ridge started head popping down the canyon, but the dog actually in the canyon didn't, didn't detect the odor because it was all rising up to the top of the canyon. You know, those kinds of things are important. So you can like train those scenarios and learn from them. And being honest about what your dog did, that's where it starts. I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it, it, tracking, it, I, I really love training tracking dogs. Um, 
I have pretty good success at it. Um, but I'm always shocked at a lot of places and a lot of trainers I see that don't run drills like you're talking about and run yeah, yeah. problem solving, tracking drills. Um, and they just, they just come out and do kind of some of the basic stuff. And then they wonder why they're down in that two and 3% success rate. Um, cause there's just so many different things that you can get creative with and, and solve some problems. And like Ted was talking about earlier, one of the, I do the same thing that Scott does. I'll, I'll have the guys are always like, well, the, I think the guy got into a car cause we lost the track. Well, you need to definitively know when your dog has no odor. So we'll do a exactly. we'll do a scenario where I have the well, decoy what, lay the track and then that, get what does that the look like? Drive off. Yep. Yeah. What does that exactly? Look like? What does it look like when your dog is out of odor? And or uh, train they, they act, train they're like I was a, a genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah, train a behavior that you can recognize or or learn to recognize. You know, uh, same thing with going through a door or an object or something it can't get through. You know, what does that look like for your dog? Is it going to sit on that object? Is it going to push on that object? Is it a mal and going to bite that object and rip it off of its hinges or something, you know? I mean, mm. what does that look like? Yes, we, it we will if a, it's a Malinois. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the other thing that, <laughs> yes. that people don't train, and, and I don't like to do a lot of negatives, but I think it's important to train negatives. And, and not just negatives for tracking trailing, but negatives for searching, too. Like, our area dogs, you know, we want them to train a negative every now and then because those dogs need to keep that, that, that amp up for that 10-acre search that they're doing even though there's no odor in it. And, you know, our tracking dogs, you know, we'll get some uh, scent article and, you know, the person will have never been there. And, you know, I want to see what my dog's going to do. My dogs, um, I got two very different dogs when um, that display their negatives. One will actually, after he's run around like a maniac looking for odor, will come back and actually lay down on top of the article I sent it him with. And that's his, his, I didn't teach him that. He decided he wanted to do that. That was his thing, no track out of here, Mom. This is the only odor. The other one will run around for a while, and then will come back and sit down and look at me and go, oh, you did this to me again, you know, and just sit there and look at me. Mm -hmm. But they won't go anywhere else. So, you know, I think it's important that you train negatives, and there's some legal cases actually that are being adjudicated right now that are, I think they're HRD cases that are being questioned because the handlers did not train negatives in their, their records. So um, they're being questioned is how do you know the dog didn't have odor here but had odor over there if he never trained a negative yeah really we, sure we do we do blanks in detection work in explosives and narcotics because <laughs> it, not every car you search is going to have something in it so <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean we need the handlers need to know and that's why my narcotics guys and explosive guys i yell at them a lot because in the narcotics side we talk we talk a lot about change of behavior versus uh, train final response. So uh, because we have a ton of case law supporting like the differentiation between the two. And, you know, so that's why I'm always talking to my handlers. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're seeing towards the end of their handler schools, like what the dog is doing before they start going into their trained final response. So they start bracketing, their ears start laying down, they close their mouth, start inhaling more, they start wagging their tail. They start doing all these behaviors that are a change of behavior versus a trained final response versus the entire whole process that you're talking about. So yeah, and then, you know, and when I start making them do blind searches, which we do all the time, I, and I make them run the car and I'm like, you know, when are you gonna call it? And they're like, well, he hasn't given me any change of behavior, so nothing's there. I'm like, all right, cool. 
and I don't tell them the right or wrong until the end of the run. So, yeah. yes, very, 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 very good point. And that is an well, issue with Margo, the Star I've World. Liked... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, it's a bit of an issue with the SAR world. Um, Dylan, because he works criminal cases for article recovery, and he's very unique in his scent uh, discriminating ability, um, I almost always, unless I'm working a specific problem I know he is having, work double blind, and I tell the whoever's putting stuff out, put between zero and five or zero and six, depending on the area, or zero and two, depending on what we're looking, if we're indoors or outdoors. I don't let them go on the search with me. I go in the room, I do my search, I clear it, I come back out, I say what I found or didn't found, and it has enhanced his detection ability and my ability to read him and, and determine that pre-alert behavior describing where the head pans and all that kind of stuff for him before, you know, he's as opposed to a novel order where he's like, oh, there's rat shit there or something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's huge. So I, I totally agree with you. And I don't think enough handlers do enough double-blind type searches like that and then get debriefed afterwards and find out, you know, what their actual success rate is. They just assume that, you know, oh, we're going to put this source out, we're going to run it, and then this dog's going to run it, and then this dog's going to run it. But everybody knows where it is because everybody knows after the first dog ran it, they watched. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, Margo, I, I personally love this episode. I think this is a great yeah. interview. I actually makes me want to go out and track. So um, I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. track a cheeseburger and a beer here in a minute. But uh, um, no doubt. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so tell like tell people where they could follow you, maybe on some social media or something, and kind of see what you got going and what you got what you're up to. Well, um, our search dog team has a. a Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, and it's SBSD uh, Search Dog Team. Um, for me personally, I got an Instagram, Canine Dylan and Finn, um, and it's A and D Finn. Um, as far as like what I'm up to or not up to, uh, I haven't been posting a whole lot lately, but I kind of, I usually. I don't usually post, I'll post little video clips, but I never really post a full, like my dog fully alerting. Although recently I, I did because my other dog, I'm actually working on him detecting slugs, embedded slugs, and I, was, um, I posted, he's been doing really well on it, so I thought that would be kind of cool because it's kind of an unusual thing to have a dog just detect embedded slugs. Or maybe it isn't, you guys can mm -hmm. speak to that. No, I can't. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. I teach I'm dogs to find bombs and drugs and bite shitheads. Like well, I, you, can, you can imagine being able to have a dog that finds embedded slugs in a crime scene that a bunch of bullets have been sprayed. You know, the CSI people love. Oh, them. that kind of slugs. I thought you meant like boogers, like slug. No, like no, nasty. no, slugs. Like oh, okay. The slugs, yeah. Like firearms. Okay, mm. never mind. Yeah. No, same page. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, embedded slugs, like you know, in the wood, in the concrete, in the drywall. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I yeah. thought you meant like in in skin, right? No, that's no, what I was. No. no, see, that's what I. That's why I was no, like, no, I, I can't. Know. I can't, I can't, I can't, there, I can't speak to dogs, that. I, are law enforcement dogs doing that or the embedded slugs? No, are you kidding me? Okay. They ain't doing yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, one of the one of the Delaware them, police so. guys, one of the Delaware State Police guys, did that. Did uh, one of their bomb guys said that one of their bomb dogs came in from Delaware State Police and found. Uh, a slug and a wall in a bank robbery um, behind a, f a fake ficus. Yeah, yeah. He, was the instructor. Do, he was an instructor at Bravo 3. <laughs> Sweet. It's kind of yeah. different, you know, but you can imagine, yeah. you know. Yeah. So um, I did post that clip 
because I thought it was kind of interesting Sweet. and novel. So, but yeah, oh, so that's that's where you can easily find stuff. But I don't post like tons of stuff. I I do and I don't. I just I followed you so on Instagram. So. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you have another follower. Excellent. I'm good. We'll 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 load you up. You'll get overrun here. So. <laughs> <God. Great. laughs> yes. Uh, Eric, what about you? Uh, Van S K Nine on Instagram. Van S K Nine Academy on Facebook, and HRD, HRD how, uh, everywhere. How do you spell that? V A N E S S. The letter K. The number nine. Van S K. Oh, okay. That's me. Yeah, and uh, I, we, obviously we're HRD Police Canine on Facebook and then on Instagram. And then the podcast, this podcast is working underscore dog underscore radio uh, for stuff. We give away stuff, Patreon, uh, Patreon announcements there too. So if you're not a Patreon member, you should be doing that. Uh, I'm getting ready to write a giant building search article right now. I'm finishing it up, and I'm editing the video for it about how um, Scott and I do building search stuff. And because I incorporate a lot of things that I don't think a lot of people do, or well, I know a lot of people don't. So I've been asked to do it, so we're gonna do it. Um, that, and then my, that'll be cool. <laughs> it's yeah. a little different. I, I do several behaviors at once, and um, I think it's successful. It's been successful. I mean, I've had success with it with teams in several states and several apprehensions. So either I'm really lucky or the dogs are just, you know, that much better. Either way. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Ted underscore Summers. And then, uh, of course, Torchlight K9, letter K number nine on Facebook and the Instagrams for the kennel and that's kind of what i do day to day whether it's finding bombs or biting shitheads either way so <laughs> yes cool. all right guys we had a yes. good time man i really like it thank you for yes. uh, bringing some great information to our ladies of canine series we loved it yes for sure well thank you guys for uh having me and i really appreciate you guys uh bearing with my uh dry sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> no, no you're awesome right. we love thanks. it thanks all right thanks good night Talk to everybody soon. Yep. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at ALNK9Equipment.com that's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O at ALMSuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com 
Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. Nine Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom, and we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up, specifically for guys in this podcast. If you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.